his opinion of Westerners is really going to drop after this, you know. <laughs> Hello, my friends. And welcome. God damn it, Jim. And welcome to the Space Game Junkie podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian. And joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. The bright light at the end of the universe. And is, your co-host. This is a oh. space train. I don't know. Sorry. I thought you were done. Um, um, I, I, people I, hope. They hope. <laughs> and uh, also joining us is your co-host, Hunter. You know, Brian, if you win that Powerball, it'll put Space Game Junkie on the map. You know what? I will seriously work on this site full time. If I Dude, won the Powerball. Billion no dollars. Question. You better be calling Elon Musk and be like, <laughs> I want to ride. Let's go. We're going to do, <laughs> do the first live from space Space Game Junkie show. We would go, yes. Oh my god, <laughs> we we would go to the ISS and we do a podcast up there. Yeah, we'd all, be all like, three of us. That'd be all amazing. All three of us. Oh yeah, no, we would totally do that. We'd Unless... be like Richard Garriott, suck it. <laughs> we are back going to space. space. <laughs> we're back going to space. There's no podcast for a couple of weeks because we're training to be astronauts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back with a very special podcast when yeah. we're actually in space. And I would and I would totally like <laughs> sing. Space oddity as I float around the ISS. And you wouldn't sing, um, I'm not, I ain't gonna miss a thing or whatever from, uh, Aerosmith. Oh, oh no. god, no. <laughs> did you see, did you see that video that the, uh, astronaut did a couple years ago and he sang Space Oddity on the space station? No, but that sounds perfect. It yeah, but I awesome. would, I would take an animal cracker and rub it around on Liv Tyler though, because that was oh. the best scene in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if my cursing is worse than that, but anyway, uh, folks, we do have a guest joining us all the way from the other side of the planet in Melbourne, Australia, the developer of Star Nomad 2, Hui, and I hope I said that right, Fan. Good day, guys. Good day. Oh, you did it. You you totally went there. <laughs> no, I mean, well, it's actually night. Good night. Good day. Because <laughs> for us, it's night and him it's day. It's lunchtime here, guys. Yeah, wow. It's so you're wow. Okay, so how many hours? You're like a million hours ahead of me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm the one farthest away. I think in L.A. here. Yeah, or closest anyway. if you go backwards. And I yeah yeah maybe distance wise I might be the I don't know. Anyway, welcome, man, and you have a great game we're here to talk about today. Now. I'm going to be honest, I kind of bounced off Star Nomad 1, I'll be honest. I, just, I did. It's it's. It's I, okay, I, it's shit. Oh, oh, okay, whoa. Wait. Wait no, a minute. No, for real, for real, I, I admit it. Well, we liked it more than you did, but... I wasn't saying it was shit, I'm just saying I bounced off it. Whoa. <laughs> okay. No, but what it, what it struck me as, though, because I've, I've got a Microsoft Surface tablet, and it worked uh, pretty well on that. As far oh, as, you know, because okay. the, the way that the controls were spaced out around the screen, it had like a tablet intended uh, UI on it. And I don't know. Did you make it for mobile as well? Or, yeah, or that's what? right. Yeah, it started its life as a cross-platform thing. And uh, I just wanted to uh, learn how to code. So that was that was all it was. Um, if it was oh. anything more than that, then it was just uh, pure so luck, like I if, guess. If I wanted to learn how to code, that's all I have to do is just make a game like Star Nomad 1. Because, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I can't do that. Good. Okay, I'm gonna I mean, need you to. I'm gonna need you to hold my hand while I do that because, um, 
Yeah, I just I, I actually uh, speaking of my my Surface tablet, I just installed Unity on it earlier this week, and I've been really? screwing around with C Sharp. Yeah, I'm just I'm sick of it, man. It's like there's like eight year old kids that can like run a circle around me coding, and I was I was like master of Pascal back in the day, you know, and it's oh, totally it's useless wow. now. Wow, so, Pascal! Wow, you're dating yourself. Turbo man. Pascal, because oh, I can do it shit, twice as turbo. fast. Turbo, oh shit, was that, remember the computers that had the turbo button? Remember yes. that? <laughs> Stu- oh, I can go from 4.77 gig- mega- megahertz. It's almost uh, like taking the emergency I'm- brake off in your car. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just like, wow, I, I released the brakes, look how faster I am. So, yeah, so, my favorite gaming memory is on a 286 playing Wing Commander. Oh, yeah. With a Sound Blaster card, too. Oh yeah, probably the probably the first Sound Blaster card. I'm guessing the the OG yep. Sound Blaster. Yeah, yeah, because I had an Amiga at the time, and the best that we could do was um, there's this game called Epic. Ocean made it or published oh, yeah, it. I don't was, know who did. Uh, yeah, but that, I believe that was, they published it. But yeah, that was like the best that the Amiga could do. Although we had a really good sound chip, and then to hear you know PCs, PC gaming to me always was like CGA and EGA graphics and it was terrible because like all the colors were <laughs> nasty pastel colors and you know it was like you had your lime green and your sky blue and purple you know oh man, no, oh, was, man. by the 90s no... we oh man by the 90s we had SVGA man slow oh, down oh man i know <laughs> right 320 by 200 rocking <laughs> but anyway so i went over to the next door neighbor's house and he had wing commander and had the whole, yeah. you know, sound blaster and everything. And I heard the music come out, and I was just like, damn, it's time to get a PC. And that's kind of what turned the corner for me was, was that. And then when Doom came out, it was just like, all right, it's over. I got to Because oh, yeah. Wing Commander did actually come out on the Amiga. It's shocking. It shit did? Came out. Yeah, Wing Commander came out. XCOM came out on the Amiga. Wow. A lot of stuff came out. But the Amiga was, like, dead, and everybody had forgotten it by that point. But... Um, yeah, some of those things actually, they, they were like the last trailing releases. But I remember my Amiga 500, and I even put uh, an accelerator chip in it. So it was basically over, <laughs> overclocked because it, it had like an 8080 CPU in it. An uh, accelerator chip. Or 68,000. It had one of those. Um, but there was a chip that you would piggyback on top of this thing, and it would like double the clock of the CPU. And it could handle it, you know. There's no cooling problems back then, um, and so it would run twice as fast as factory spec. And Wing Commander was still like a slideshow. It was just oh, like, no. oh my god! So then I was just like, all right, we're done here. I got to have Wing Commander. Bought a PC, and I bought uh, Wing Commander, X Wing, and Tie Fighter all in the same day. Oh, blowing, blowing the mind, blowing the mind. Exactly. Shit, that must have. Wow. All at the same time, I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I could have handled that much gaming goodness all at once. Yeah, that was the day one purchase, and the and the joystick Woo! that had two buttons, not one, but two buttons. Two whole buttons. I know, right? From folks, we're just waxing nostalgic about late eighties, early nineties uh, computer gaming. Don't mind. <laughs> Yeah, and then you get Xbox's controller today, the Elite controller that has like fifteen hundred like triggers on it. And... That thing is one hundred and fifty dollars, isn't it? Yeah, that's that to me is a trigger when when you spend <laughs> that much, it triggers me. That thing. Anyway, so so who? 
was was the first Star Net Star Star Nomad. Was that your first game that you had programmed? Uh, it was my second. My first one is um little uh, ninja RPG game that I, I did to test some RPG coding. Oh, okay. Was that ever released? Yeah, it's on Apple and uh, Android. Oh, oh wow. cool. what's it, what, what's it called? Ninja Go. Ninja Go? Ninja Go. Girl, like female. Oh, girl. I apologize. I'm going to look up that right now on my tablet. But um, anyway, so you say you didn't really like the first Star Nomad, and I'm sorry to hear that, but what did you... What did you learn about the experience from the first Star Nomad that you brought into the second that made it, honestly, such a much better game? Uh, I think just really the basics of coding. Um, I mean, there's lots of features that I, I wanted. Because, you know, Space Sims is traditionally a very complex genre, right? And at the time, uh, just I'll give you an example, just a minimap, a uh, real-time update positioning thing, yeah? At the time, I couldn't figure out how to code it. So I said, well, no minimap. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. I think I remember there was no minimap. It was a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, but I got NAF icons to work. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a gameplay feature. It, uh, it increased the mystery. Exactly. Exactly. You didn't know <laughs> where the enemies were, so it's, sometimes you just wander right into a whole pack of them. Yeah, well, there was a thing. I was listening to to the Three Moves Ahead podcast this morning, and um, Bruce was talking to this guy about uh, board games, not even computer games. But uh, the the guy had made a bunch of uh, of hex map games, and I was now that I'm actually screwing around with coding a little bit, and I got to thinking like if I if I did a game and it was on a hex map on the screen, like as far as just calculating pathing around that. It it was just bend in my head of of how the heck would I even do that? You know, it, like would you brute force it? Just like look at every possible place you could go and try to draw the shortest line to it, or you know, it, I I don't know. It's it, it, just trying to get my head around that process, and then um, because ultimately there there's a game. Um, it's uh, what what is that? The Vanguard prophecy. It's uh, Starhammer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Starhammer Tactics. So the thing that I'm in love with about that game is it's a turn-based game, but it gives you an arc out in front of your ship, and you can drag your destination. It's a ghost of your ship, and you can drag it anywhere in that arc, and that's your possible movement zone. And I'm just looking at that that pretty wedge that he calculates out there, and it's just like, my God, how would I even draw that? You know, <laughs> just to calculate, like, just to come up with an equation that I could do it on graph paper, not even in code. And it just makes my brain swell up and hurt. So, it must be a secret. Well, yeah, back to earlier when you were talking about you learning Unity. Um, I mean, if you want to learn code, develop for mobiles is, is a good way to start because it's very limited. I mean, you can't really design very complex games, per se. So, mm. the feature sets are really toned down, so you keep keep it simple for yourself. Yeah, like if I could make a game where you just bang two rocks together, that would be okay. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> call it like Caveman MOBA or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to start small, that's for sure. It's I, I had written back in, you know, in the way back, like uh, I had a, a, 
uh, Texas Instruments, you know, TI-99 back in the day. Ooh. And I even, I, I wrote like RPG games for that thing, and you only had 16K of RAM, and I managed to cram some stuff in there. I wrote like a little roguelike. It would randomly generate a map, throw some like potions and monsters in there. Yeah, that wasn't too bad, um, because you were dealing with a grid. You weren't dealing with, you know, like arcs and things and you know, so it's like I should have I should have paid more attention in geometry class. I think. Well, yeah, we all start from somewhere, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, but you but seem it, to. Sorry, God. No, it's just it's just the the thing of like trying to catch up because I I know, you know, like the the basics of like you know. Uh, Conditional logic and case statements, things like that. Yeah, I've, yeah, that's I've all done you need, that. really. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Jim, but it's, uh, Jim, it's never, it's never a better time for you to catch up than now. Yeah, because it, because it finally got a little bit saner to do, you know. And and with with the object oriented stuff, and there, there's so many modules out there. First off, that you can probably just download and integrate, and that way exactly. you're not having to figure it out yourself. Um, there's, there's a particular roguelike. It's uh, I think it's called Brogue, um, and whenever yeah. you download it, you get the source code, and it's not even in C++, it's just straight C, and I was reading Ooh. through that, and I, th- I think it's, no, maybe it is plus plus, because there is some objects looking stuff in there, but but I was reading through it, and, and, I'm, and I'm just like, I don't know C, but I can read this, it's not bad, and like whenever I was working on Apollo, crack it open, well, it's C sharp, but I can read it, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to create it. But if I'm looking at it, I can tell you what it does. So if, that's if, kind of a step. If you're unaware, Hoy, um, Jim worked, helped work on a game called Apollo 4X. I was, no, I was nowhere near. I don't know that at all. But I deny all knowledge of... It, it came out last year. It, it, shouldn't be, it should not have been called 4X. We're just going to leave it there. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't everything that I'd hoped it would be, but it was kind of... Not in my hands, so you did yeah. learn quite a bit from the. Experience. I did well. That that was the whole thing. Is I went into that deal kind of as a, let's figure out what the PR side of this stuff is and see if I can help these guys. And as I did what I could, um, but it, but I it was definitely a learning experience. I've I've learned a lot of stuff about all aspects of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that's not the, the not the hands Just... and the code, but everything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all about learning. I mean, it's a journey. Because um, if you want to get into game dev, expecting success is is very, well, I guess foolish. I mean, if it happens, it happens. But the most important thing is what can you learn from your process? Right. And that, that's the thing. Like, I could hmm. see being an indie dev as a hobby project. And then, you know, you sell the game. And that's part of the hobby, right? Is, you know, if, if you sell it, then that's that's the actual fruition of it. Not, not necessarily that you become, you know, an independent income from game development, although some people actually manage to do that. Um, but it, you know, for me, it would just be like, can I get it in the market and do people not hate it? Okay. I win. You know, I, I did something, um, which is my eventual goal. I'll get something out there and, and hope to not be stoned to death by the customers. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's that thing. But I look, um, if if you read some of that that god awful rant that I put in the in the forum, you know, around Christmas, it, it's the thing of trying to figure out with how many games are coming into the market on a weekly basis, you know. And, and I I started a column and I was just like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just 
I'm going to just track like what games came out this week and, and just talk about them. And then it turns, it's like 10, 20 games every week. And it's like, Oh my God, I can't even do that. You know? So I look at the consumer and the amount of fatigue the consumer has to have of looking at that and trying to make choices about what they want to buy or what. And, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like, I like to have a lot of choice, right? But I think there's a point where like too much choice is is really a detriment to the market. And and it's uh if I was releasing a game that I was actually hoping to to like make a living wage off of at this point, I would be uh discouraged, <laughs> let's say. Well, I got to I got to ask um from a game development standpoint, how much how much coding did you know when you did Ninja Girl? Did you, was that yeah, that was your first first one? Yeah, nothing, absolutely zero. And how long did it take you to make it? Um, six months. Six Ooh. months. Tra- translating including, that to including the art, and, uh, yeah, that took the longest uh, time. Um, just the art and all the animation because I had to teach myself how to draw as well. Interesting. Ooh. So, um, are are you are you artful by nature? I mean, is that uh, no? Okay, I mean, I'm asking from a curiosity background for those like that are yeah. curious about this kind of stuff who might be yeah, tempted not a, to get into it. So, I'm a, I'm actually a scientist by background, so um, <laughs> now everything is all new to me. Oh, cool. So, hey, so, oh, so I went cool. I went to YouTube and I and I looked for Ninja Girl game. And it comes up. The first thing is, is like a half naked uh, ninja I, girl, and it says Shinobi I, Girl Sex Game Oroji Hentai whoa. Gameplay. And I'm like, oh <laughs> god, boy, no. no, no, no. <laughs> Actually, there's like three or four ninja girls on the uh, at least the Play Store because <clears throat> that's what um, I looked up. I'll send you guys the link. No, um, I, fa- I found it by going by looking up uh, Half Geek Studios. That's how I found yeah. it. So I was going to ask you though, but translating that knowledge from what you learned from from the first game you made to Star Nomad and Star Nomad Two, uh, did like was the process uh, better, or were you able to then incorporate new ideas because of that? So like, how long did it take you to do uh, the next two games? Yeah, let's see. I, I finished Ninja Girl and I had to um, port it to Apple, which is a slow process. Um, and after that, I started right away on. The genre that I, I really like, which is uh, Space Sims. I mean, I made Ninja Girl thinking that um, let's make a game for the masses, right? Because I don't really like that kind of game. It's a good way to learn, and I was assuming that's what mobile games gamers would like. Um, mm. So I said, why not? Okay, so let's do it. And then that didn't work out, right? I've had 10 copies sold all that time on that game. So I said, well... If I'm going to do something, I should do something that I really like uh, in a genre that I like. So in case if it fails, at least I can play it, right? <laughs> so so then I, I, I decided to make a space sim. But then <laughs> a lot of the features in space sims were really it's, it's overwhelming for a, a newbie at, at coding. So I had to tone down everything. And so it ended up being a very arcade space sim. Um, you could say it's castrated. Um, I, I have... I. I have no problems with that. Um, but, you know, um, a lot of people actually did enjoy it on mobiles. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was, I was very glad with that. Um, all the things that I've learned from the first Star Nomad, it's really just the coding side of things, not, not really features or things like that. I mean, 
confidence is the most important thing as well. I mean, it uh, it really allows me to set a bigger ambition. A lot of features that I think would be very difficult to implement. Uh, I w before I would have said, no, it's not going in. But this time I said, well, let's do it. Let's not make excuses. Let's just let's just make it happen. So so confidence is the the biggest thing. Hmm. Yeah, because it's it, one of the most impressive things about this new game, Star Nomad Two, is how much. Like, if you just looked at it at first blush, it would just it would kind of look. It looks a little like asteroids with other ships. Like yeah, I'm just flying around shooting, but no, there's all kinds of shit going on underneath. There's like a full blown life simulation almost going on underneath with like struggles in this system and a siege in that system, and that system needs medicine, and that system is. Under attack from pirates. Ryan, like, are you are you saying that it's everything that I wish that Braben and company had done with Elite? Is that what I hear? Uh, I think two, that's what you're saying. If you want it 2D top down, then yes, maybe. Yeah, but maybe I'm, I'm so. just saying the whole background sim thing, instead of power play, I wish we'd have got this, where it's like planets are like, hey, we're in trouble, we need this. And then when you do that, then you get standing with them and yeah, you get I access mean, to better ships and things. In, in this genre, one of the pet peeves of mine is I, I love to do space trading, but usually space trading is just um, holding shit A to B. And right. You make some profit, nothing really changed. I mean, it's it's a very static universe. I mean, okay, yes, they need food, right? And then you give them food, okay. Well, what what then? What happens, right? <laughs> so that's the first thing I did was I thought, well, how to build a game around an economy that actually responds to your actions or inactions. Hmm. And you really seem to have done that. Like there like when I tried playing as a trader, I did not pick up on the fact that I should have gone to this system that needs medicine with some medicine. I was still trying to look at the I got to say one thing I love about the game is that oh, I can hover over this commodity, it tells you what the prices are in the in in every system in the sector. Oh, are like, you saying, like, what I wish that Elite had done? <laughs> I was going to say, Jim Watson. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to just record myself saying that, and you can play it on loop the whole rest of the show. Because no, you, no, you need to make a soundboard with a button. That's well, all it does. Is. And the other thing oh. is, too, that you have... Okay, so traditional game thing, the carrot on a stick, it, that you get the player invested in, okay, I want to advance through here. And, and a game like Elite, the only thing that's there is money. And like Brian said, you know, you, you start looking at the map and you're like, all right, where can I buy this low and sell it high? What's the thing that I can haul that's going to do the most for my wallet? And you don't realize right away, like, oh, well, there's this whole there's this whole karma thing with the planets, and and if I go there and I take care of their problems, then that is the gateway to get approval that lets me buy better things on the market, because yeah, like exactly. in, a, in an RPG. Um, which this is almost RPG-ish. It's it's you know you don't have stats and and stuff for your character. I don't think, but but it's uh, you know it, it, there's an advancement like that, right? So in a, in an RPG sense, uh, you would have you know like there's experience and experience every so much, then you go up a level, which is often a gateway to what equipment you can use, which is kind of like the the standing with the planets here. Um, but then, you know, you would have like, uh, well, you drop a sword that's not normal, right? It's like a sword that's plus one or plus two or whatever. So you can, you can reward the player with things like that, that are unique items. And that's a, that's a problem in a lot of the games that we're seeing is that the money is the only commodity 
You know, there's one currency, and that's cash. So the only thing I'm going to do is what makes me the most dollars per minute. Mm. And then the game gets really a grind because you're just grinding for that one thing. Whereas here, you give a motivation for let me study the map and see what's going on. And also, time passes. So you might buy a lot of food and try to get it over to that planet where starving's going on, but other traders will take care of that before you get there if it's too far. You know, you have to be quick about it. Um, so there's there's a lot of things to think about, and and it's not just uh, you know who's going to buy this the, for the most. So yeah, and, the, and I, I like that. I think my favorite thing about the game and is is um and and UI is a big thing with me. I'm a big um I'm a big proponent of good usability and good UI, and the fact that you have melded several components of a UI into the map, like news. And and a system's needs, and you just look at all that at a glance. I gotta say that's brilliant. Well, and it's also that, whenever you listen to the other ships, um, and it's nice that whenever a ship's talking, you actually put a little radio thing around them, so I know who said it. Um, but it, you know, the the other ships will give you hints, and and it's like, well, instead of having like a loading screen tip that pops up, the the other pilots just say it. You know, it's like, hey, you should probably look into doing this. Yeah, I heard there's actually, money in that. Yeah, you can also contact them directly. You target them and press tap. You can bring up a uh, menu of what to what to say. Um, you can ask for tips, or you can insult them as well. It's it's not <laughs> a really well documented feature because I I tend not to hold players' hands and show them everything. I rather they they just discover it by themselves. Yeah, because I didn't realize even even now that you could just target any ship and do that. I thought it was only the ones that had the you know they would have a ring around them like come over here and talk to me. And oh, it, oh yeah, yeah. You can you can even ask them to surrender if you if you're really like hammering them and they're about to die. You can demand the surrender and they'll they'll drop the cargo and pay you a ransom. Oh neat. Okay, so the only thing that I need is uh, cooperative multiplayer in Star Nomad Three, and I think we're good. <laughs> well, <laughs> a lot of people said it'd be great co-op or multiplayer, but the problem is I'm only one guy and. Time is the thing that's limiting for me. Not not really uh, resources. I've got resources. I just I just lack the time to implement it. So when you mm-hmm. do multiplayer, it's a it's not a whole ball game. So in terms of complexity and time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just yeah, I, I mean, just like to casually throw that out there, like I'm dumb. <laughs> you know, like oh, you just download that multiplayer module off the Unity store, right? And then you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> this does run on Unity, right? Is that what this runs on? No, it actually runs on uh, Google's Chromium uh, Chromium engine, the same thing that uh, you use your browser with. But oh um, wow, it's got what? It's really? got hardware hardware Wait, acceleration. What? Oh yeah, because uh, Google Chromium actually is really compatible with most GPUs. So and it's also multi-threaded for rendering. So it's actually a really powerful engine. I think Fascinating! This, I just learned I, something new. Holy I know. Crap. I think I honestly, Huli, I think this might be the first game that we have had on this show that uses Chromium. I don't. I, just about every game we bring on here uses you. Most of them use Unity. Um, a few use a few other things like Unreal and, and whatnot. But I mean, I don't think we've ever had a game on here that used Chromium. I think well, it's Chrom- Chromium's free. How does that port to uh, mobile platforms? Is that is that something that's just a no problem, or is it kind of different? Um, language wise, um, it'll port just fine to Apple and 
Android, but uh, obviously the UI will need completely working, right? Right, but yeah. the, but there's actually a Chromium, not just the browser, but that that engine will just run oh, yeah. on whatever. On oh, Android, okay. on Android five plus, um, the the basic engine itself is Chromium um, for the whole for the whole Android, right? And for ah. Apple, Apple they have um, this this engine called Nitro JIT. So just in time, and what it does is it takes the JavaScript code that that the game is built on, and Chromium runs runs. And it compiles it into native Apple code, so that it runs really fast on Apple. Actually, a lot faster than on on Android. Oh my God! <laughs> wow, guys, we really learned something new tonight. So, so what was the first game built on then? What was the, was that also Chromium? Uh, the same, the same, yeah. Really? I could. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm kind of floored. Like, this is I'm like, like this is like Sesame Street for adult gamers. Like, I'm learning by the minute here. <laughs> I know. I well, know, this episode right? is brought to you by the letter S for space <laughs> and the letter <laughs> C for chromium. That's you know, we, we really should have a letter sponsor every week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as I was saying, there's there's never really a good time to catch up for you, Jim. I mean, now is the best time to catch up because we have so many options. It's true, Unity and not apparently Chromium and I mean, it's it's not even like most people when they think of game dev you code in, in C plus or C sharp, etc. But these days most of the engines are really drag and drop. Very, very visual visual programming. I mean, because Unity has this, this this plugin called Playmaker and it's kinda of like a flowchart programming. And Unreal Engine four has also a similar thing with they call it blueprint. But all mm-hmm. the major engines have a visual programming model, so you don't really need coding per se. Yeah, but that's that's why it got too easy, and then the Steam market turned to shit, is because they they let just anybody make games. That's the- uh, I don't I don't think the Steam market's turned to shit. I mean, I no. don't believe in the in the apocalypse, uh, all that talk. I mean, yeah, you still have with you. you still have to go through green light. Yeah, I'm making although- I'm making a good living off that apocalypse hysteria, so you can't discount that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I mean, selling tinfoil hats to everybody. Yeah, you still have to go through Greenlight, and and I, I, some studios and some devs they they do a very shady thing for Greenlight. I mean, they give away free keys or they basically bribe for votes. But yeah, most developers are quite honest, so they they go through Greenlight naturally, and the games that do it naturally are actually quite good. Yeah, I, yeah, because think... it actually acts Sorry. like the filter it's intended to be at that point. Exactly. Although, yeah. how shower with my dad's simulator made it through, and and now the earth shattering, what's under your blanket? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give everybody, everybody in the audience is getting a free copy of uh, what's under your blanket tonight. Just look under your chairs. Let's. No, I'm not Oprah. Never mind. I'm trying to remember the name of the game I bought today. It's only fifty nine cents, and I think it actually went through. It might have gone through Greenlight. What the Alpha fuck is Zylon it went through Greenlight. Oh, did it? Well, no, this game is called Kiwi Toilet and Shotgun. That's the name. I, that's I can't name. even. Hold on, I gotta that's, look that up. It's it's a top-down, randomly generated car combat game. With a toilet and a shotgun. There's definitely a shotgun. I, I haven't seen a toilet yet. I, of course, bought it. I mean, car combat, randomly gener- random generation. Speaking of random generation... Uh, it doesn't look like the uh, the universe is randomly generated. Am I wrong on that? Wait. No, no, no. You're right. At at the base level, um, the planet and systems are, are static, 
but there are other, but there are other, but yeah, but there are other things that are generated, like the like the faction standings and. Oh yeah, I mean at the start, all the AI fleet and the position and the strength composition, their economies and each world is uh, randomly simulated, so give each game a different start. Oh. See that that's a great mix because when you when you start with something people know like the map, that's kind of comforting. Like I know where this is. I know where. I know the general outline of the map, but then you like randomize everything else. So it's like a good compromise between pure random, like procedural generation, and you know yeah. having having something a little more static that people can cling to. But even if yeah, the whole thing right. was static, there's multiple ways to solve the problem that's going there on there. There are. And it's be, great. Because you can you can just pick one of the sides and just be like, all right, I'm going to be with these guys this time or, or whatever. So, Hoy, can you explain a little bit about what's going on with the factions in the game and, and how your uh, standing with the factions actually changes what's going on on the map and, and, and that? Because I, I don't think even I understand what's all going on there. I know it's it's you can build up to a certain amount of faction with each of them, but at some point you have to pick um and you know choose an allegiance, right? And then then from that point on it's like you and those guys against the other two. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at the basic level it's it's actually an economic simulator because each world that a faction owns has has an economy and the wealth that it generates goes to that faction for them to build ships. So when they move ships around, when you see on a star map that they're attacking here, they're defending there, those ships are not spawning out of nowhere. They actually they actually use the economic power of the world so they, they control to build those ships. So when you help a faction or when you cripple a faction economically, it affects their military strength and how they wage wars. So that's okay. Do they do they actually is one planet more predominant about producing ships, or they each produce them at the same rate. All, all ship production occurs at the homeworld, but they they get resources that they ship there to produce the ships. Oh, okay, gotcha. And and, and so each game has what four factions that take up around a, a quarter. At least they start they they start in like the corners of the map. It looked yes. like, if I recall, but they can move in on each other. It looked like, at least when I was playing, it looked like they can take systems from each other. Oh yeah, they'll they'll do it by themselves if you if you leave them alone. Um, you can let the universe run like a simulation run overnight. For example, when you wake up in the morning, it'll be completely different. So it's it's pretty much randomized based on all the events, how the economies are doing, and the economies are affected by piracy, by um, uh, surpluses of goods or shortages of goods. By Zerkus that you know come and just kill all the ships, yeah. Right. Oh, so could I, I get, could I just make a beeline at the beginning of the game? Um, if if nobody dislikes me, could I just go to the enemy homeworld and just start raising a ruckus right there, or are they going to put enough stuff up to to kill me right away? Because because well, that, that's where all the ships spawn from, right? So do they keep like big battleships there all the time? Like that's the toughest ships will always be there. Yeah. Yeah, at the homeworld, there's always a um, a big patrol, including a capital ship, at least one. Um, oh, okay, so so me yeah. and my in my merchant freighter that I start with are are not going to survive long if I go there. <laughs> oh no way! <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I do want to point out about the game is it is it is wicked hard. 
whenever you start out. Cause I, like I was telling Brian before, before we started here, um, that I started out as a trader and for some reason I, w- I was doing it wrong or, or whatever. Um, but I was trying to get my faction up to 200 so that I could at least buy one of the fancier ships from, you know, the guys that you start near and, uh, wh- whoever that is that has uh, dry bone and those other planets up there. Um, so I was, I was trying to get favor with them, but for some reason I just wasn't building the favor with them to get it over 200, even though I, I was trying to do the, like the medicine yeah. runs and stuff. Um, so I was finding that to be kind of difficult. Well, the, the first couple hours I didn't even realize I was supposed to be doing that. And then I noticed like, oh yeah, I need, uh, if I want that ship, I have to have 200 standing. And if I want this other ship, I have to not only have the standing, but I have to have certain minerals. And are the minerals like yeah. you go out and mine those, or do you get them somewhere? Because I I know there's asteroids around the periphery that you can mine, but oh, I don't yeah, know mining. if those specifically yeah. give you those resources that you need for the ship or other things. Um, they give you mining is a good way to play as well. It's a bit passive, but um, and potentially dangerous. Uh, the the location of the asteroids are randomized with each game, so there's a seed. And when you explore the systems, you, you, if you stumble upon rare asteroids, they give you a lot of the rare ores that you need. Yeah, and you, uh, can, tell, that, you can tell by the appearance of the asteroid what kind of exactly. ore it's going to give you, right? I, yeah, I really eight, wish eight that in Elite they would do that <laughs> because all the asteroids look the same. What? Okay, go, go we, ahead. We talked about this, Jim. We talked about this. Uh, uh, back to your trader. Um how it works is you, you get notified if you manage to ship enough goods that they need to resolve a crisis. Um, they'll notify you on a little message and say, oh, congratulations, you've managed to beat your rivals. In, oh, so, in it's, so it's, maybe, and, it's maybe not one shipment of food. I might have to repeat the trip until they get satisfied. It depends on, it depends on the severity of the crisis. Um, it, the game doesn't tell you exactly it just it has to <laughs> well in, in words in words it tell you approximately like it's really dire or, or it's just a little crisis but then when you play you the first time you resolve a crisis you know approximately how much you need to fix a certain level of, of crisis because because I, I just describe the severity in words i don't i don't say you need x numbers you need y y number of that etc because i don't like it that way i mean it's too um too much hand-holding, uh, I would say. I want, I I did kind of love how the game doesn't tell you everything. Like, oh, if you click on your gun, that turns the manual. Oh, like some shit things, like that. Some well, things I, I tell you, but some things I, I'd rather not. I'd rather you discover it. On yeah, there was a tooltip about hit control one, two, three to turn the gun's manual. Or was there? Yeah, there I must was. Have yeah, that. tutorial. I must have missed that. Um... I was like, wait, guns manual. So, uh, yeah, there's lots of little... It's just... How much work went into the underlying... um, I don't know if life engine is the right word, but the simulation that goes on under the hood. Yeah, and when you you set that up, did you build the sim and then just leave it run without interacting with it for a long time and just see what happened? <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of iterations on on the AI in the sim, and I just let it run overnight and see what happens. I I check my lock and see that it behaves as it should, or or sometimes it actually surprises me. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one example, um, because I, I teach the AI to try to prioritize who is the bigger threat, right? Uh, on in terms of the factions when they fight each other, right. first they like to gang up on 
a weaker target, right? So you have two sides that just gang up on one. And then when they start poning that side, and then suddenly the two allies who were ganging up on, on, on the other guy, they suddenly realize that, oh, crap, if the other guy is dead, right, then we have to fight each other, right? So they, they actually then reanalyze the situation and say, well, we better stop doing that. We better, you know, they'll, they'll fight amongst themselves rather than continue to, to murder and annihilate one faction. Oh, so it sort of seeks balance that way. It tries unless... to, because uh, it, it's self-preservation. So it, it, as the player, can you have enough influence to throw that balance out to where the, to where it's, you know, they're clearly winning? And, of course. But, but do, then, do they then struggle against you specifically? Like, both of the enemies will team up against your faction because they see, like, the players over here. If, and, if, you, if you help your faction get powerful, the other two will notice that, and they'll start ganging up on you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and you can, you can help or you can harm a faction through trade or through combat. So that's one of the important things that I wanted for the game, that a, a merchant should actually be a, actually a fearsome force. You know, I mean, in, in most, I guess in reality, wealth is power, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in games, we, we tend to always be focused on combat to, to, to project power. But here in this, I, I, made, I made sure that a merchant can heavily influence how the state of the fashions are. Because if you trade with a planet, you actually increase their economy so that they, they produce more resources and more wealth for the fashion. They have more ships. right? If you smuggle drugs on a planet and you cause all the population to be drug addicts, you actually <laughs> cripple their economy. And then that planet is now stuffed. And that economy doesn't generate anywhere as much resources for that fashion. So they become slightly weaker. Now, if you repeat that on multiple planets, you can completely wreck a faction. So can you use, like, drug smuggling and stuff to soften up a planet for an invasion? Exactly. Yes. Well, so that's interesting because that sounds like Star Trek with uh, the Dominion and, like, the way they would use the, the drug to control their army. Hmm. Like the Jemadar, yeah. Yeah, so like so you can actually well, what happens with a pop with a planet if I screw them up with drug addiction? Because the ships from the Empire will still come there and defend it, right? But does it does Less. it not? Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so each each planet has a um, a local militia that they 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 generate from their wealth. So if it's prosperous, they'll have more ships. If, if they're suffering, they'll have less ships. So that's that's the local patrols that you see, and the big fleets tend to ignore your little skirmishes until you provoke them enough so that they do send a fleet to deal with you. Otherwise, they, they tend to ignore the little smaller things. They, they, they more worry about the other two factions invading their worlds. Okay. <laughs> so, so the computer, uh, for your friendly faction, it just kind of observes where you're doing things and takes advantage of it. It, it doesn't really coordinate with you, right? Because I, I know um, you can have your own squad of guys that follow you around that you hire. Yeah, the way it is is your allies initiate the fight somewhere and you go help them. Um, one of the things I added was the ability for the player to help decide where the ally should send the fleets to attack. So you can actually take your squad and you go to a foreign planet and invade them. You destroy the local patrols and your allies will see that 
and they'll say, oh, maybe we can have a chance, right? So they'll, they'll, do, they'll send us really small strike force to help you capture that place, but they'll still keep most of their forces to defend their own worlds. Oh, that's cool. And and hopefully someday I'll live long enough in the game to actually see that because <laughs> I you know <laughs> well that that there's one one thing about the design that you have here is you have three difficulty levels, right? So you can play it on on hardcore roguelike and if you die, you're through. Um or you can play like a medium level where okay, you die, you're going to lose some things, you know, you, you lose the ship and and get set back a little bit but you're not completely screwed. And then you can also play it on just like a fairly casual. I, I use casual uh, in air quotes because it's still pretty darn hard. Um, but the more casual mode where it's just like, okay, you died, you go back to the last planet you docked at, and you know, you've know you got your cargo and everything. It's just you get teleported away from wherever you were. And... Uh, yeah, and that's enough if you're if you're deep in enemy territory to get bounced all the way home. Um, but it's I I like that you give the variety of that level so that people don't get completely frustrated with the thing or people that enjoy yeah. pain can dial it up. Yeah, because one of the things I learned from the first game is that it's, it's also quite brutal, and it's because I I like my games hard, and to me when I play it it feels okay, but to most it will be really hard. So, so I knew that. So I, uh, I designed this game predominantly on roguelike for myself, but I knew that I had to have other difficulty modes for other players. Yeah, because I played it on normal, and I still found it a challenge, which is good. Good. I wanted to find it. Yeah, a that's why it's called normal and not easy. There's, there's no <laughs> easy mode. Which is pretty damn great, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it should, kind of it should be measured in tiers. It's like, how many tiers do you want? One, two, or three tiers? <laughs> I want all the tiers you can muster. Um, I just, I mean, there's just so much impressive go- stuff going on here. And, like, I keep, uh, the more I'm learning about it, the more I'm like, I should tell people who love economic games. Because at first blush, it just looks like, like, you know, you're... Your Void Expanse, your Drox Operative, your top-down, mostly yeah. combat-focused game. But from talking to you and playing it and stuff, it's like, no, 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 no. This is an economic game that just happens to have combat. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's a good way to describe it. Because when I built the game, I built it um, around the economy. So that's, the economy was the first thing I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you could but actually, you could actually I didn't, sell I didn't a game... Of- I didn't think of the um, Euro simulator, Euro truck simulator in space when I when I did this. I mean, that's my only regret. No, it's that's a, well, that, but it's changed now. Um, we're no longer preaching Euro truck simulator. We want railroad tycoon in space. Well, yeah, so, but you're too. almost there. Nothing wrong with both. I mean, if we can get both, why, 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 why have to? Why make us choose? <laughs> why make us choose one or the other, Jim? <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, honestly, with the background sim and stuff and the ships fighting and, and that, it's almost like you, you could make, like, space ant farm, and you just run it and watch it, and, you know, it would be entertaining. So, didn't they make a game like that, though, but it didn't have spaceships in it, though? It was like a universal sandbox, so you could just, like, let the galaxy go? Yeah, yeah I think it was actually universe called universal sandbox. sandbox. Yeah. But you can fly around and look at stuff and, and that, but yeah. 
Yeah, it, what, game, what's cool is you can play with the physics in it, right? So it's just like, oh, let me drop some asteroids here and we'll see what that, you know. And then you really quickly understand why the solar system's formed the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, I think the closest comparison you could sell this game to, and I've been trying to sell it, is, is, is Space Rangers. Like, it's a real-time Space Rangers with without the, without the stupid real-time strategy portion. You know... <laughs> That ooh, that gives me a thought. Speaking of Space Rangers, because it made me think Star Rangers, which is actually Star Raiders rebooted. So you could do a top-down Star Raiders, right? Where it's just aliens are invading. You've got I planets wherever, and you have to just rush around and deal with it, right? I would yeah. play the fuck out of that. Yeah, yeah someone it, make that. You could build it with this engine pretty easy. So hmm, that would be interesting. Yeah, someone, someone make that happen, please. Someone that'd be I, great. We can, we can think of about twenty different things that you can do with this engine with minor modifications, where you can just multiply your money. Seriously, like, like you could, you could make a, you could like just. It seems like you can just add a few things, and all of a sudden, this is space bucks. You know, like a new space bucks. You yeah, know? it's possible. Um, I made it to be expandable, so um, I've been keep, I've been adding a lot of features um, in updates. So there's yes, you more, have. There's it. more to come. Oh, oh, like what? Stuff. I, I want to know. <laughs> He's not going to tell um, you. It's going to be a I, secret. I, 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 doesn't hurt to ask. Well, one of the things, one of the things I originally wanted was um, for the player to set up their own faction, but I, I, <gasps> I didn't fit it in in, in time. Are you? Get, is that coming? Well, I'd like to. I mean, yeah. Why not? Oh. I would actually pay for that as an expansion. That that sounds like a big enough deal that you could oh, probably charge like a yeah, dollar or two. Yeah, you could probably charge like a dollar or two for for that to bolt that on to the to the rest of the game. People, I yeah, would pay I'm, for that. Oh yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be like um, you become the leader of the faction, and you can dictate where ships go. You can dictate what your home world is building, what ships, and you can research. New tech, you can order oh. merchant merchants to run here and there to make profit for you. Um, more, more like a, um, I guess you could say a management type aspect. It's gonna give Unending Galaxy a run for its money if you keep doing this sort of thing. God. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, Hoy, we're we're a little bit in awe of this game because it's really unassuming. It, it's. It, you just look at it, and it looks so unassuming. It's got, very, you know, the graphics are cute. You know, this, the interface is very efficient, and 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 it's not too in your face. There's not a lot to it, which is good. But then you hear about all this background stuff that's gone. You're like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I, the interface. Uh, I got a lot of criticism for that because I don't, really? I don't actually know how to make a good looking interface. I, I think I. I only know how to make a functional interface, oh, and, okay, and okay. people have people have problems with the interface when it looks so basic. But it's, I'd rather have a functioning interface yeah. that worked instead of having a good-looking interface that didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah me I'd, too. Yeah, I'd much rather have something functional and usable than something pretty like like if we want to go the complete opposite direction, we can have uh, X Rebirth, where sure it looks nice, but what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Terms... Pretty, pretty only gets you so far when you're stupid. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exa- Sorry. 
Sorry. <laughs> exactly. And that, that game is like, that, that's a real good personification of that game, Jim, because. Well, I mean, that, there, there's like, there's like, edict. there's like cute, but ditzy. And then there's just offensively stupid. And I, I can't be in the room with that game. That's all I'm saying. So. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, it's a very pretty game. Very, very pretty. Now, if you could like mix the simple, the the efficiency and economy of this game with the prettiness of, <laughs> I need a minute. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be right. I need a minute. I'm sorry, I'm kidding. But, He's uh... clumped. <laughs> but yeah, we are we are really just kind of in awe as to how deep this goes. I mean, it doesn't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't say this to be insulting or anything. When you just first look at it, it doesn't look like a deep game. It looks like That's, a lot of that was the intent. That was actually the intent. Um, I really? didn't want to over, overwhelm people with all the depth. Um, I think it backfired in some ways because the people who like depth they they overlook it because of that reason. And I, I've got some criticism that says, "Oh, this game is so simplistic," but they only play thirty minutes, right, or one hour. Um, so the other problem with the game that I've, I've learned now is a little bit of progression should be quicker in, to, mm. to, to give them that complexity. Like, you don't get your first squad member until after a while. So, right. so your, your right. combat options are limited. Um, uh, you don't get new ships until a while. Again, I mean, you're limited by your noob ship. I mean, I think you, you're stuck in your noob ship for too long, looking back we- at, at it now. Well, you could mm. you could actually put a fourth option on the menu, which is just like fast start. So you just jump the player up into like, you know, here, here's a taste of what you'll get if you play this legit, and you know, uh, almost like a tutorial thing where it's like, okay, you can't advance out of this ship, but I'll start you with a pretty cool ship and some wingmen, and you know, like then if you if you actually want the advancement thing, then you know, play it for real. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a solid idea. Well, a lot of games, you know, like RPGs especially, um, JRPGs in in particular, they'll start you as, as like, you're super powerful, right? It's it's like, all right, you're Batman, and you got all the toys for the first level, and then you lost Mm -hmm. them all and you have to get them back. But at least you know what you're going to be whenever you get there, and it gives you the, the incentive to kind of, you know, find that battering. But anyway, yeah. No, you're, you're yeah. probably not wrong. I mean, I didn't I didn't feel like in the... I pl- I've played for a couple hours now, at least. I didn't feel like I was being curtailed. You know, I didn't feel like I was... I didn't feel like it was too slow. I didn't. No, but it it doesn't show you the potential of the game right away, and you don't want to yeah, risk somebody. You don't want to risk somebody mm-hmm. walking away from it before they even know what it is. Yeah, so, but I, I got several people who left uh, negative reviews after half an hour or one hour. It's a bit slow for them, I think. Oh, uh, I mean that. But, uh, but on the other hand, I mean you can never please everybody. All you have to do is make me happy. Just focus on that, and you'll be good. <laughs> I'm not even See, the curator um, here, so re- kiss recently, I, ass. recently, I released an update where I add um, three ships. So there's quite a few ships. One of which is a capital carrier. So it's like a, a really badass ship, right? And I chose to put it only in roguelike mode as a bonus and a reward. Uh, yeah, I saw where incentive. people freaked out on that. 
Yeah, I was actually actually got a lot of negative um, negative comments on on the forum. I mean, uh, some guy called me a noob dev, noob developer for doing that. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't know. You can't really make everybody happy, I guess. But no, but if you're yeah. making if you're making a few people mad, that means you're doing it right. Yeah. So if everybody's <laughs> mad, you're doing it wrong. If nobody complains, then nobody's playing it. So if the fact that people are bitching is a good sign. Yes, and, exactly. So I, I I did I I thanked him for taking the time to voice his opinion because I I know most players I mean most gamers they wouldn't give a shit. So if they don't like your game, they won't tell you unless they care about it. So so I I do understand that. So I appreciate their feedback too. You should have um, offered to compensate him with a copy of X Rebirth. Just be like, well, if you don't like my game, I I can hook you up with something that'll make you appreciate my game. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I. Because when you're a one-person developer, you, you don't really get the feedback that you need for... Um, I mean, I think it's okay, because to my in my point of view, like, hey, I'm adding new ships for free. It's not a DLC. Um, I just want to say thank you to players who play it, and here's some free stuff. And I'll keep on doing that. So I think that's fine, but yeah, the player's point of view is, is very different. So, I mean... That's one of the downsides of being a one-person developer. You don't you don't get that feedback that informs you of, of what's right and wrong, I guess. Yeah. So you came out uh, full release with this, right? It wasn't an early access thing or anything. Oh, it's right? full release. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think it would have been any different if it had been early access, or do you feel like uh, maybe it would have actually been detrimental to be early access because you might have got passed over on stuff? Well, it felt complete to me at the time, so um, I, I, I didn't want to go EA. I mean, yeah, you do EA, some people use EA as people a tactic. Expect, yeah, I mean, if you do EA, people expect you to um, your game is to be half finished, I guess, and then you, you double it. And to me, at the time, it was finished, and anything else would just be a bonus. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Uh, and and that's that's kind of a nice thing because so many games do the early access route, and I don't mind that. But it is kind of a double edged sword for developers. It seems, you know, like some gamers burn out on it after early access; and they don't want to play it anymore. And some gamers are way too critical of it in early access, thinking it's a fully released title when it's clearly not. Yeah, I, honestly, I like the idea of like, okay, you know what? We're late beta now, and I'm going to put it out early access just for let's get some feedback and make sure that everything works because you know if you if you want to take the risk of maybe some late beta bugs fine but you know i i i really don't dig whenever they throw games out whenever they're like super early alpha and there's nothing but placeholder stuff there and that i i think that's kind of maybe detrimental to the game cuz at that point you're just like proof of concept like is my idea any good well you know your idea is good you know you just need a little help doing QA at the end, right? So before you declare it, you know, you kiss it and say it's done, then you, you can use that as like a QA thing almost. Yeah. Um, but, and and I, I totally approve of that. I like to see when, when developers do that. Um, so, you know, I mean, don't discount that or anything, but there's a, there's a group and I haven't really mentioned them on the show, but I was, I was talking to uh, James who's making shallow space cause he was talking about, you know, QA on his thing. So there's a group, it's called Indie QA and uh, it's run by a guy out of uh, the Netherlands, I think. 
And um, anyway, I, I talked to him one night. So it's a bunch of people that are actually industry QA people, you know, for a living. Um, and they and they've worked on AAA titles and stuff. Some of them currently are, um, but in the evening they volunteer to look at indie games and and actually write professional QA reports for the developers, and it's free. Uh, you just have to contact them through the Steam group, the indie QA group. So I just want to put a plug out there for them because you know they're they're doing good stuff, and and I referred somebody out to them the other day, so it's just on my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, one thing I wish Steam did was um, instead of just having EA, they could do a, a beta where, where you know, I mean, they tell players that the game is more finished and they just need a, a short period of time for bug hunting or a little bit of polish. I mean, that would encourage more players to um, get into it, I think. Hmm. Because myself as a gamer, when I see an early access title, I tend to avoid it for, for the reasons that are quite obvious, that a lot of the games are barely finished and dysfunctional. Um, I prefer to have early access where it's more uh, close to a finished product and players can help test for balance, for bugs, right. and, like that. And you also have the mystery with a, with a really early game of... Is it ever going to get finished, or are they going to walk away from it at some point? Yeah, exactly. Which, when we've seen AAA developers walk away from stuff, Schaefer, um, you know, <laughs> like, you know, not putting any names out there, Schaefer, but you know, it, it's yeah. So any that's that's kind of the thing where the early access thing has kind of done disservice in the in the market a little bit because yeah. then it's kind of like well do I trust early access or not but yeah if you're if you're late beta and you're like look man this is a 95% done game it's going to get done i just need a little help at the end to kind of tidy it up a little bit and then I, i'm all aboard on that but i'm yeah. i'm getting really gun shy about stuff that's like hey here's this early thing you know do you want to satisfy your curiosity 20 bucks uh no <laughs> i'll pass I'm I'm becoming a more discerning shopper, and and I look at my Steam list, and I'm and I'm like, yeah, I got like a thousand games there. I don't I don't think I need to throw this this alpha thing on my heap. But you know, yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I I get the impression that that the way you feel about it is is how most gamers see early access itself. Because I've I've got some friends who are developers who did early access and. They say pretty much the same thing. Well, it was exciting at first, but I think, you know, like a lot of things in the market, we've kind of got the consumer has fatigue of it now. It's, it's just like it's not the new exciting thing. It's it's kind of a, all right, we've seen the flaws, we've seen the benefits, and, you know, now we make a different choice. But It's, it's also a shame that there have been such high, some high-profile early access issues. Schaefer. With certain uh, – let's just say it deep – what was it called? Space Base DF9. Yeah, that that was that was not only a kick in the pants to early access, but kind of space gaming a little bit, I think, because it's a space game. Yeah, but that game, the Spatials, came out and was better, right? So, oh, and that's yeah. indier than yeah. It's I like that indier. game. Oh, it's a great game. That's a fun game. It's a good fun game. <laughs> Some of those games, it's almost like the indier the better, you know. So I, I would I would rather have chunky pixels and something like that. Although I think people are getting chunky pixel fatigue as well. Because there there was like one particular um like a, a guy made a set of RPG 
icons, and they're kind of the ones that are used in Realm of the Mad God, and those things just got abused, because everybody that was making some kind of like indie RPG downloaded those things, and there's like a thousand roguelikes that all look the same. So, <laughs> But, you know, that that's the thing. I was talking about the, looking at the, the source code for that Brogue game. It's mm. shocking how much game is there and how little source code, just because it's all you know, procedurally generated, but it's just, it's super tight. It's, it's just tiny code. I'm looking forward to trying it. Cause you know me, I love roguelikes. I just have not played that one. Yeah. It's a roguelike and everything's an ANSI, but it's animated ANSI. And it's like, wow, mm. how did he do that? So I was looking at the loops and stuff and it's just like, dang, if you want a lesson on how to animate stuff simply and, and, you know, C or C plus plus, whichever it is, that's, that's a go-to. Like, look at what that guy did. Cause it, so, you Brian, know. When, when you say you like roguelike, what part of it do you like? What aspect? He likes the dying uh, part, the dying well, and crying. There are a lot of things. I mean, as, as I get older and I have less time to devote to really long games, one of the, bene- one of the great things about a roguelike is the pay- because they're so small usually and because everything's randomly generated, there's a fast pace to it, and you can accomplish a lot in like 10 minutes. Like, oh, I can do one dungeon, or oh, I can do one quest. You know, it's not like Skyrim where, oh, I've got eight hours to kill. You know, like, like I don't play Elite. I'm sorry, Jim. I don't play Elite as much as I'd like to because I don't have three, eight, nine-hour blocks of free time to play games a lot. And you need that kind of time to play a game like Elite. But with roguelikes, oh, I just got... 20 minutes before dinner is ready. I'm going to load up a dungeon. Oh, done. I feel that felt good. I got my fix. You know, it's going to be different because it's randomly generated. So I got my fix that way. And so that, that's, those are like, those are the qualities I love about roguelikes is the quickness, the random generation, the the fact that it doesn't take long to feel like you accomplished something. Um, And that is one nice thing about your game. Like you can do, a few trade runs or shoot a few pirates in like 10 minutes. I can no, get killed I like some. three times in 10 minutes if I really. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, how, how can you die that often? It takes effort, but I can do it. I, I died quite a bit when playing a merchant because the funniest, you, you saw this on the video. This is the first time it happened, but the funniest was when like, Oh, I forgot to bring along the fee for landing. Whoops. I love oh, that. Oh yeah. I did that one. <laughs> never did it again. <laughs> no, I never Don't did leave again. home without 500 bucks in the bank. At least. But um, but it was funny because I'm like, okay, maybe if I help these guys take out the pirates, but stay in the periphery, I'll get some credit for that. <laughs> and then I'll have enough money to land. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> didn't work at all. But it was fun. And it was funny. And I like how the game put me in that situation. There wasn't like a big like, oh, by the way, you need to have this much money to land at a planet. Nope. Game didn't tell me that. I found out and it gave me like a nice little side adventure, you know, a nice little side adventure that I'm still laughing about because like a lot of other games would have held my hand said, Nope, you can't leave unless you have enough money to pay for landing or something like that. You know, you know, you know how I solved that. I ran over an enemy territory and shot a pirate died. Yeah. And then I respawned (laughs) back on the planet. I was like, okay, won't do that again. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're playing in the normal mode, you basically respawn at a. How does that work? Do you respawn like the last planet you land at? At do you respawn at the last planet, the nearest friendly planet? How does that work? 
Uh, you usually respawn at the homeworld of a faction that you have the highest reputation or standing with. Oh, so that's kind of funny because that could be nowhere near where you actually intended to go. Yeah, yeah I thought exactly, it was just the last place you dark. Once, so. once you become an ally of a faction, you always spawn um, at their homeworld. So. Oh, that's funny. So can you ally yourself with all the factions? Or almost all of them at least? Probably not like... As a merchant, as a merchant, you could up to a certain point, um, and then they won't recognize your contributions anymore until you formally sign up with them. Wait, you have to formally sign up with them? Yeah, you go to the homeworld. Um, when you have enough standing or pilot rep, when you fly by the ships, they always tell you, like, oh, hey, you can use your help in our war efforts. So you go to the homeworld and talk to the recruiter and sign up, yeah? So the pi- other pilots will invite you. So they'll, they'll give you these hints. Oh. So you, so you can, like, so you can actually formally ally yourself with a specific faction. Yeah, exactly. When you formally ally yourself with a faction, then their ships will no longer hit you with their weapons fire. They'll be configured to avoid hitting you. So there's no oh more friendly God. fire from them. No. <laughs> Do you get any special treatment when you join the Merchants Guild other than just access to the database? At the Merchant's Guild, there's some quest lines that um, random encounters that involve the Merchant's Guild as well. Um, if you join them, you might unlock it. But at the moment, they, they have no special ships or weapons and you unlock because they're part of the free union. Mm. So one thing about the game that we haven't really talked about are the random encounters that um, are kind of FTL-like that, that you put in there. So yeah. how, are th- how are those generated and how many varieties of those can you run into? Well, uh, lots. Um, one of the things I, I dislike about space games is that uh, travel can be really boring after a while. I mean, sure, it's pretty pretty scenery, things like that, but you, you need something to keep it fresh. So, mm. I, so, so that system is, is one of the core features of the travel mechanics in this game. Um, so there's lots of encounters, there's all, all kinds of varieties of them. Most of them have multiple outcomes. So you might, in your one playthrough, you might see uh, one particular outcome. In another, you might see something else. Um, I got a bug report on my Steam forum. One of the players said that uh, he ran into a merchant who wanted help with an escort. But then the merchant just jumped out and nothing happened, right? He thought it was a bug. It's actually not a bug. It's just, that's one of the outcomes. The merchant lied. Right? He didn't want to pay you. He just, he just leaves. Like, yeah, whatever. Thanks for thanks for the help. I'm out. And the other outcome is yeah. The other outcome is he'll pay you a small amount of money. And then there's another outcome which his corporate, his company. Um, yeah, I won't I won't spoil it for you. But yeah, there's multiple outcomes in most of the encounters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like I ran into a couple of those, and I think my favorite was the we've taken this. Uh, We've taken this luxury liner hostage, and if you don't work with us, we'll kill all the hostages. And so I'm like, okay, I'll work with you. And the thing blew up. It's like, fucking hell! <laughs> yeah. Sons yeah, of they, bitches. They, yeah, they asked you to uh, try to try to talk the suicide bomber out of the uh, yes, trying to blow up the it. ship, right? So you have like uh, four different possibilities of of, of um, trying to talk him out of it. You can use logic. You can use, um, uh, I guess. Fear, you can friend him, but yeah, they have they all have different outcomes. 
So, so that's pretty. And and like, if you go up in levels, do do those become more numerous as you travel the map more, or be, raise up in levels? Like, how does that work? Uh, it's just random, but uh, there's a oh. check. There's a check in place not to spawn the encounters that are too difficult for uh, low ranked pilots. So there's there's some of them that you won't see until you progress a bit. Uh, pretty fascinating. So yeah, always... was... Sorry, one, one of the things I made uh, a mistake with at the start, I, uh, when you spawn a random encounter and, and they ask you for money or for whatever reasons, like the player didn't have enough money at the time. So there's no point of that encounter, right? So <laughs> that was something that I overlooked, which I, which I fixed later. So I had to check to make sure you have enough money before I spawn that encounter, right? Right. Oh. Little things. It's, there's tons of little things in here, man. Like, how do you keep track of it all? <laughs> yeah, that's why there's bugs. Because uh, a few weeks ago, I, I was uh, after release, um, I was still working frantically to fix bugs that uh, beta testers and players find. Mm-hmm. And my wife, my wife goes to me, "What are you doing? Why, why are you still fixing bugs now?" Like she said, she said, like really, like surprised. So I, I, I showed her my, my PhD thesis. It's a, it's a thick book. And I showed her I've got more than 10 times the amount of text and code to this thesis. And if there's one typing mistake, there's a bug. And then she just looks at me. She goes, oh. And she walked out of the room and left me alone to fix it. So that was, that was nice. <laughs> so have you gotten her to sit down and play the game? Is she like a beta tester for you or...? No, she doesn't like uh, space games, but she played the Ninja Girl and uh, she beat it. So the balancing was actually all her all her play playtesting, but not this <laughs> game. She doesn't she doesn't like geeky stuff. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty funny. Now I'm guessing it sounds like you have a full time job uh, beyond uh, making this game. Is that the scientist thing? No, no, I I quit that a few years back um, to pursue this career as a full time job. So I. I had a lot of savings, and I wanted a um, different uh, life life approach, I guess, or career. So I gave it a shot. Oh wow! So what what kind of science you? did you do? Uh, molecular biology. I, I, I was at a postdoc position in University of Geneva in Switzerland. Oh wow! Oh, that's pretty cool. I don't think we've ever had a uh, molecular biologist before. So you're the first. Yeah, yeah, I think so, man. Yeah, it's more of information on my blog, on the, on my page. So you do this full-time now? Yeah, I've been doing it full-time for, I guess, nearly three years now. And three years was the time that I gave myself to pursue this career. So uh, at the limit of three years, I, I, I either would make it and pay the bills with my game dev, or I kind of pay the bills, and I have to quit game death and get a get a normal job. So, so yeah, three years is nearly up. And, and how's it working out? <laughs> well, I'm paying the bills, so it's okay. Oh, that's cool. Yay! And that's, Yay! and that's why you have to run out now and buy Star Nomad 2 on Steam, to, my so friends. that he can make Star Nomad 3. Because you, you <laughs> have to spare this man from a life of science. Because <laughs> actually, you'd probably be uh, driving a taxi with Uber or something. Because um, the thing with academic science is, once you get out, you don't really get back in. 
Oh no! Really, they like they like cross your name off. They're like, all right, yeah, exactly. There's no no Godfather to it. Like, as soon as you think you're out, they pull you back in. (laughs) No, no, no. When you're out, they'll lock the door. They'll kick you out, and you never come back. (laughs) Holy shit! So, so, So when you leave, it's just like you left our club. You're gone. Exactly, like you're, oh you're, you're some kind of just kind of heathen who wants who wants uh, money or luxuries besides sacrificing your life for science. Yeah, your your big people or little oh, people. Wow. Which one do you want to be? Well, good for you for taking. That's a tremendous leap. It, it is. It is good to get out of the cult. Like, how long did it take to deprogram after that? <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed it when I did my PhD, and good I think you the, the reason. The reason I enjoyed it because my supervisors were really uh, they gave me a lot of freedom, and right. that's not normal in academia. It's not normal at all. I mean, normally you just you're just a worker, you're just a drone, and they oh, tell yeah. you what to do. You work for them; it's their ideas, etc. Yeah, because really, autonomy is the key to job satisfaction for creative people. You know, if you if you let me solve the problem my own way, especially you know, it's like science and and computer people it's like we're problem solvers we want to figure something out and if you don't let me be creative about that i'm going to get very frustrated yeah i mean my phd supervisor i i saw him pretty much once a year just to give him an update on what i've been doing that year um at the start he just gave me like a goal i want you to find out how this works and i leave it all to you and i love that i mean as, as, as a scientist that's what I think everyone should love because total freedom to to explore and learn is is something that that promotes good science. I feel, but that's not how it works at all in most institutions. And that's why we can't have good things. Uh, exactly. <laughs> we got to the moon and it was all downhill from there. So, uh, what? Whenever you went into molecular biology and and such, though, I mean, it's like, what was what was your ambition? that drove you to, to do that? Was it, was it just like, this is a field I'm kind of compatible with, you know, an, an interest uh, in, or did you have an ambition? Like I want to do something. Basically I wanted to solve world hunger. So it's a small goal. Yeah. World hunger. I'll, I'll fix it. That was, that was my ambition when I was younger. Yeah. I, I had that goal too. So I went to work at subway. I was going to do it one, one sandwich at a time. <laughs> Yeah, because there's work a lot out. of problems, a lot of problems in third world countries where you know, I mean, we're, we're in the first world. If some of our farm crops fail for that year, it's fine. We have money to import it, right? But in the third world, they don't really have that luxury. So if, if their crops are destroyed by pests or destroyed by um, uh, you know frost or um, salinity, all all the things that threaten plant life, if they're wiped out, those people are going to be dead. Right. Well, and not only that, but some stuff that I was reading about that the the Gates Foundation has done. So somewhere in in Africa, they have some sort of a parasite, right? And it's uh, you can you can get rid of it if you just filter the drinking water. But to get the people educated, right? That hey, if you if you take a pair of pantyhose and like filter the water through it, you're not gonna die, right? <laughs> well, they, they don't die, but it's a hideously painful internal worm thing um but it's just like all they got to do is filter the water or boil it one or the other and and they're fine but it's it's like 
it, from the first world, we don't realize that like half the world is living in just not good conditions, right? Because yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. it's so removed from us, we don't think about it. Um, yeah, so so it's kind of like uh, education is is the tough part because you know if you if you can explain to people. You know, like because half the world doesn't even understand microbes, right? Like, yeah, wash your hands, no, exactly. And you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, my background when I was young, I mean, if you Google Google um, children swimming in the Mekong River, that's pretty much me when I was young. Uh, no joke. So I, I I come from that background, so I I have a lot of appreciation for. These things. That's why I went into science in, in trying to improve the quality of human life. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that uh, the way the field is set up that it's such a frustration that you know it's like you you get good quality people that want to come in there and make a difference and then they stifle them. You know, with yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess in a way it's like politics. I mean, institutions I and mean, politics and science is very similar in that people will come into that field with good ambitions, but they end up being stifled or crushed. Yeah, you, fig- you figure out how limiting the system is once you're in it and then realize, you know, that uh, what, what you had thought you would accomplish is, is being prevented by the mechanism. Yeah, me- yeah, exactly. It's set up the way it is for, for certain people to... Um, prosper and others to be squashed. That's just the way it is. Wow, that took a burn. <laughs> well, anyway, so well, you know, we, want, we want to focus on the positive here, like yeah, you know, third we're, world. We're, <laughs> we're talking so, about games, you guys. Yeah, we were, we were talking about how in the in-game economy you can you can drive them into starvation by shooting the merchant ships up. But now, it's not so fun, is it? Is it, Brian? Because you well, there's there's no happy ending in the game. Um, players don't really realize it until they they beat the game, and the game tells them the consequences of all their actions. And there's no happy endings. Because oh, really? does it think give about you like it, a does it give you a head count, like how many people you killed on? <laughs> well, well, if you think about it, you're you're choosing a side, and the goal is to commit genocide. Oh, so you're not bringing people into your faction, you're just killing them. Yeah, I mean, the the, the goal is, I mean, they tell you that they want to free these guys or they want to liberate them, but it's just death. Oh, uh, we've, we've heard that liberty story before. We're from America. We, <laughs> we know what we bring. We're, we're coming to liberate you from 30,000 feet. But, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> not not and, too, too political about about that, but you know, and all the former factions administration, that, all the factions they're just humans. I mean, there's no aliens in this game per se. You're just fighting humans. That's some that's some really great stuff, though, because like some of the best sci-fi doesn't really have aliens. No, the best sci- the best sci-fi is the sci-fi that makes you think, and the sci-fi that makes you think after you're done with it. About mm. what it really meant, so that's that's pretty interesting to me, right? It's like okay, you got you got to the end of this, kind of one, but at what cost, right? So yeah, yeah. 
But now, whenever you take a planet, does it immediately flip allegiance? You know, it's it's just like your ships have to have air superiority for X number of seconds, and then it's yours. And yeah, you know, the, so does does that? How does that impact the population? Is the productivity of the planet reduced for a while until it builds back up, or does it just flip yeah, over? Right. It's, yeah, the economy suffers after a siege for for a period of time, and it slowly recovers based on merchant. NPC merchant traffic. So if there's pirates or there's zerkers nearby, uh, it takes longer for them to recover. Is there some sort of a graph that shows the prosperity of the planet that you can uh, that you can watch? There's, there's no graph, but on the star map, if you highlight uh, mouse over each of the planet, it'll tell you a description of the economic. So it will say economically stable, economically prosperous, or economically crippled, economically destitute. Etc. They tell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. It would be interesting. I, I mean, it's kind of you know you, you're beyond it now. But if you wanted to go back, where if you actually tracked over time what the number was, and then almost have it as a graph where you could show like over time this is what happened with this planet and this you know because the player would visibly be able to see their actions where they they altered the it'd be almost like looking at the stock market. Right for for individual planets, it's like oh well, here's where I came to town, and you know you see it fall like a cliff, um, you know because I wrecked the place or or whatever, or I boosted this place, and and look how much I picked it up. Yeah, I mean that feature is really really cool. I mean one of the things, as I said, I regret at the start is I didn't I didn't think about the tycoon aspect of the economy. I mean I could have gone down that route quite mm-hmm. easily. I think looking back now, I mean. You can manage your fleets. You can send merchants to, to go here, there. Just give them escorts. You have a, a daily wage system for pilots you hire. I mean, these these things um, would change the game into a tycoon aspect, and I think it would be quite good too in that way. But for some reason, when I designed it, I, I didn't. It didn't occur to me to go down that route. Yeah, but the beauty of it is that you could go down that route and call it Star Nomad Three, and it wouldn't. Well, it, you know, it wouldn't take a lot of. Because you've already got the foundation, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, but at the moment, I'm I'm pretty fatigued with space because I've done the first one and now this one. So I want I want a change of um, scenery. Oh yeah, you were saying you were going to do something that was that was like a what like a medieval thing or something. I I, I read what you said. I just don't remember specifically. Um, nu- nuclear nomad. So it'll be a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, survival mountain blade. Um, it'd be like Star Nomad two. More tycoon, more base building, more crafting. Have you guys heard of the games uh, Harvest Moon and Moon Factory? Oh yeah, sure. uh, yes, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah so it'll, it'll have elements of that, and yeah, base building, uh, ma- empire management, but also um, large scale combat that you can participate. Are you are you still going to be like top down sprite thing, or are you going to move into three D with this one? Uh, moving into three D costs a lot of resources in, in terms of money. Because good 3D models and textures are very expensive. Um, have you guys heard of that game, Windward? Windward, Windward? The yeah. Yeah, 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 a sailing game. Yeah, fabulous so, game. Yeah. yeah, I've got it. Yeah, great game for a multiplayer. Um, the developer said the assets for that game cost him forty-five thousand USD. Wow! Holy Jesus! Wow. You have to make like five <laughs> sailboat games after that to recoup. Holy uh, crap! I mean, when you look at the graphics, it's really simplistic. Low quality models. I mean, the texture quality is not that great. I mean, it's a very simplistic looking game, and I was blown away by 
the cost of it. I'm like, holy crap. Well, that that's the thing um, about like Star Citizen, right? So hundred million dollars. But if you look at the art assets that are going on in that game, that's why people are concerned. Well, that and hiring actors for the the movie thing, which I, I yeah. was shocked. But but just the art alone to pay those artists, and then uh, part of what we overheard was that you know they they had some mixed communications there. So it's like, well, we had the artists make all this stuff. And nobody gave them the memo that we had changed it all. So they did all this oh. work, and then they had to go back, and you know, and then yeah, it was just like, and that's when people were like, "Oh no, they're in trouble," because yeah, they had to go total, back and redo all the that's art. Just total mismanagement, because because 3D art at that level of fidelity for Star Citizen would be ridiculously expensive and time consuming. So if they if they actually tell an artist scrap that, like go back to the drawing board and do some new ones, that would just be so expensive. Yeah, and that's that's when people panicked, right? It was one of the artists left and w- was talking about like, yeah, I left because of this frustration and whatever, and everybody was like, what? So, and then because uh, the game Assassin's Creed, uh, the one uh, in Paris, I think um, I read an article that uh, one of the artists she worked on that game for two years full time. Her only job was to build the Notre Dame Cathedral, right, for two full years. So when you think about that that model and texture, it costs one artist two full years wage, and also all the equipment and on-site um, uh, costs associated with that. How much would that cathedral cost? It would easily cost at least two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars. They could have almost built the real cathedral for what they paid for the art. Yeah. I mean, three D games are really expensive. So uh, to answer your question, I'm I'm gonna stick with two D for a while until I, I build up the I guess the bank. Mm. Well, and, and you know, honestly, uh, and I'm glad that your answer is that you're going to stick with two, with 2D because yeah. I find that 2D games generally have you know wh- when they well, there's the 2D games that are just really simple and and you know somebody put it together, and then there's the other extreme where you took the time to make a, a very complex game, but you didn't have the distraction of the art. You know where where all the time actually went into this into the bones of the thing. You know, yeah. as opposed I mean, to just the skin. As a gamer, most of the games I play these days are indie games with uh, low quality graphics, but the gameplay is just superb. And yeah, at 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 some point, it's it's kind of like a balance. The more you focus on graphics, the less time and manpower you have to focus on gameplay. Yeah, like I um. I'm not a big fan of any of the X games. I mentioned this game earlier, but when you get uh, when I got Unending Galaxy, which is like an X game, but top down in 2D, clicked right away. Just, yeah, there's something about the 2D that just made it so much easier for me. Yeah, which I've been kind of going this this your game is like the right game at the right time because I've been in a phase for about a month and a half of playing 2D sprite-based top-down things. So, um, you know, I was playing Nave and Transcendence and and, uh, Void Expanse and that, and then Brian turned me on to Unending Galaxy, and I was messing around with that, and I and I was shocked, like at the because you can you can much like the X Games, you can end up owning factories and setting up you know routes of supply between your stuff, and instead of having like a character screen, it's got a empire screen, and it means it. You know, if you play the thing far enough in, then you're actually the goal is to take over seventy percent of the map. 
as an empire, and you start with yeah. just a ship. So you know, there's depth going on in that thing that is just amazing. And and you, you know, you, you see a, a game like the X Games, um, but the 3D stuff adds a layer of complexity, and and uh, you just can't see the whole game. You know, Some, from, sometimes sometimes the 3D adds to the game, but also can detract from the game as well. It depends on how how they do it, I guess. Yeah, it depends on the I game. Mean, yeah. Totally um, have you guys played um, Hotline Miami? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, well, to I'll me, say I that's, played that's the, first, the best. I played the first, the best level. first level. I can't get off first of person it. shooter, right? To me, that's the best first person shooter I played in a long time. <laughs> I could not imagine I, and, that and, game in yeah, first person and, mode. Oh my god! But to, it feels like that because even though it's top down, it, the, the franticness of uh, I mean, just the gameplay, how tight everything is, it just feels yeah. much better than than most of the shooters I've played. Oh, if you like that, there's a couple games you should try that are similar. Uh, one's called Cash Out. Um, very similar to Hotline Miami, but it's got randomly generated uh, levels and stuff. That's fun. And um, also, Not a Hero. I don't know if you saw that. That's, that feels also very um, Hotline Miami-ish. Not a Hero is really cool, actually. Oh, it's it's, it's, that's it's the great. side-scrolling thing, right? Yeah. It's got a Broforce vibe to it. Sort of, it's is, it's got that irreverence to it, you know. That's yeah. It's it, pretty it's, great. Its humor is in its violent absurdity, and just <laughs> how many times can you die in a level? And and I don't get sick of it. It, it doesn't. It's not oh. one of those games where I just throw the controller down and it's like, oh my god, what do you want from me? Because every time I die, it's my fault. You know, it's it's not like the game's just mean. Um, right. but yeah. So uh, I don't know what what other stuff have you been playing. That would would you say is an influence in your design with Star Nomad? Star Wolves would be one of the games that, that I like. It's a niche space squad RPG game. Um, yeah, Star Wolves. Let's see, Man and Blade is the big inspiration for the Conquest oh. AI. Okay. Yeah, and also I mean FTL for the random encounter. I mean, I I, I don't. I don't pretend or I don't say that I'm not inspired by these other games because I am. Because at at the core, I'm just a gamer. So if I play games that I think it's cool and it's got some nice features, I'll steal them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're you're basically following my rule number one: is make the game you want to play, and then uh, exactly. the people the people that like that will find it, and yeah, the people that don't like that are just looking for a different game. Because you know, make the thing that satisfies you. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the most important thing. I posted on my forum about that because some players were complaining how they want this and that, and I tell them. I mean, they they actually told me games or uh, works of passion are rarely profitable. Right, that's what they said to me. I said, well, fine. I mean, I'm not I'm not out to make a lot of money. I'm just out to make myself happy. I think that's that sounds like it's working because this is a really impressive game, and I was well, looking at. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, as I say, luckily you're not in the mobile market where the Flappy Bird phenomenon seems to be the rule of development. You know, where it's like minimal effort, just throw them against the wall and hope one sticks. That that seems to because it's it, it's so difficult to get noticed in the mobile market because you, you basically have to get you have to get promoted by Apple or Google or you just yeah, never exactly. show up on the list. It's, it's not a good system that promotes um, small. Developers to to succeed, they don't really have much of a chance um, unless they have some marketing power behind them. 
because I'm even on Google on Android, there's actually no real top list, top new release list, right? Or yeah. new release list. I mean, you can't find games that are newly released. You can only find games that are marketed a lot. Yeah, and hey, I have a question too about something that I heard about the the Asian mobile market is is like China specifically. Like they don't have a paid app store. Uh, apparently, everything has to be like some sort of a freemium. Really? That that's what one guy was telling me. You know, he he made some kind of like whack a mole gopher game, and and he said he had to he had trouble with the with the Asian app stores because. It was it was like you can't charge for the game. You have to put either ad supported things or some kind of in app purchase. But they they have like a different structure to app stores over there. So yeah, because there's a bunch. Yeah, actually, that's that's just right. I mean, for for Android in China, the market you can't set a price for it. Last I checked. Oh, so you just mm-hmm. like throw it out there and and. <laughs> let people well, ad, end up with it. Uh, ads, ads, and in-app purchase, things like that. I wonder if that's like a government thing. Like you know, they have a law where it's like you can't charge for software or something, which would be kind of well, ludicrous. But wasn't it up to a few years ago? Um, it was illegal to own a console in China. Oh yeah, that's true. Because uh, like Sony just started shipping Playstations over there. Really? Which is funny because it's like the country that makes most of our electronics between them and Japan, right? But but it's like in in you know it's like in China. Oh, they can make it for us. They can't own it themselves. It's yeah, strange. I mean, see, see, I'm 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 as much surprised as you are because even though I'm Asian, China has doesn't ring a bell with me because I I grow up and live in Australia, so I'm I'm pretty much Westernized. Yeah, is your is your family like originally Vietnamese or where I, did, I didn't see the spelling of your last name, but yeah, it's right. We we were from Vietnam. Um, my daddy was in the south, south, and uh, he was a colonel with the American Army. So uh, after the war, when the North won, they didn't really appreciate him. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, at that point you have to move because. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, well, get, they don't got, get on well they, with the neighbors at that point. Well, they got him into um, a concentration camp, a hard labor, where they, you know, um, isolation, all, all those things you see in documentaries, it's real. So that was, that was what yeah. my, my family went through. Yeah, is, is your dad still around? or? No, um, he, he helped a lot of uh, relatives and friends uh, flee on the boats. But when it was his turn, um, his boats was actually attacked by... Um, pirates from Thailand, and they yeah they shot everybody, they stole everything. So he didn't. Oh, that's sorry. unfortunate. Right, it's just back then, you know, I mean, it's, I, I, you have to say why those guys became pirates. They were just fishermen at the start, but you can imagine the poverty and all that. I mean, I don't really blame them. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate he's not around because I I was going to encourage you to like talk with him a lot more about that because like my grandfather he's passed away now but it, it was like uh he was in world war ii and he didn't talk about it much you know but whenever i could get him to talk about it then it, it was just like you know he was talking to me from a different place and 
and it, that's kind of what makes you know it's like you read about the war and stuff in books or you see movies or whatever but to actually get it from somebody that was there and and then you just kind of it, it makes it uh a lot more of what it was not just you know facts or whatever because yeah. it, it's it's more about people at that point yeah i'm i'm lucky i have an uncle who survived the war, and he's, he's here in Australia, so I, I get to talk to him about it, and he knows my dad mm. well. So he was in the Navy, my dad was in the Army. Hmm. Oh, I guess that once again says, if you're going to go into the armed forces, folks, go into the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <don't. laughs> well, there's, there, well, there, there's um, another guy that I know that uh, he, he's actually a game developer guy, um, but his his dad... Um, was in some sort of special forces thing, Vietnam. But he, but to the point where, and his dad's still around, right? But, it, but it, you know, I was asking him, like, well, was was that like, you know, behind enemy lines, spy kind of thing? And he's like, well, dad's got a false tooth because he had one. You know, there was like a tooth, literally, bite down on it, cyanide tooth, and uh, he's just like, that's, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's got stories, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah, I love hearing those stories from, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, even myself, um, I haven't really experienced it because I, I came too late into this world for, for all that misery, but, you know, I, I appreciate hearing stories about it. It, it gives you a sense of groundedness, I guess. Um, you never forget where you, where you came from. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and it's just the thing of, of like when we become ungrounded from it is when we're more at risk for repeating things. You know, it's it's like as long as we still have people around that can remind us that, you know, those things are very real and very unpleasant. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. So that's why in the history of human humankind, I mean, you have major wars that are spaced apart several generations. And it's, people tend to forget. So we do for one now, I think. Okay, yeah. don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> well, it's what's well, the it's the thing too of like I, I enjoy um because indie games kind of have the best chance of communicating human things, right? Um because the the AAA stuff, well you get Call of Duty and you know, it's 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 just kind of like, well, you know, conflict is fun, whatever, but it's like then you get a game that's kind of like this war of mine. Where, oh, I love that you game. know, and and it's just kind of like okay, I've, that makes me think. I've yeah, not played I put, that one. I put over seventy hours into that game. It's it's a work of art. It really is. And if anybody who has not played it, they should really devote time to play it and change okay. their perception. Well, I own it. I'm looking at it right now. I've just not touched it. So I it'll should be, I should change that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the best game you've played this year. Guaranteed. Yeah, it's it's. Oh. I, I need to put more time in it, but it's it it's a hard game to play though because it's and it's kind of frustrating. Um, but you Which know, it's, it's like yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, well, it's like um, Brian. It's it's almost like a post-apocalyptic thing, except that mm. it's current world, right? And you just happen to be in an, in a city where there's a war going on, and you're a survivor, right? But the war is still going on. So, so you're you're kind of a, a in place refugee, or I don't know what you would call that. Um, but it, you know, it, it's just like trying to get by day to day with a group of people in a in a war zone, 
where you're a civilian. And there's looters and there's thugs and there's, you know, just all the survival instincts, right, and the things. Yeah, which, um, which usually becomes you. I mean, you looters and thugs and rapists, I mean, that ends up usually you because of how, how hard the game is. It forces you to do these things. Yeah, you have to make some pretty tough choices. But but there's a thing like, you know, you're, you're somewhere and you're looting a dumpster looking for food and, you, you you know, you hear, like, an altercation. So you go look and it's like some woman being attacked by a soldier and it's like, do I intervene or not? Well, I have I have this food and I have to get it back to my people or they're going to starve, but do I let this happen to her? You know, and stuff like that. And it... And it you know, if you intervene, that might go very poorly for you. So you have to think about it. So yeah, maybe it's, I it's don't a game. want. Maybe I don't want to play this. This sounds really gruesome. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, you a, should, it's you a game should. of wicked it's choices. It's a game that all, all gamers should play. I think. I mean, it really deserves to be played. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we have we have a lot of things that celebrate conflict, and and I think that this celebrates humanity in conflict, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a thing of, of saying, okay, you know what, there's people there. It's, it's not just, uh, like targets or, or whatever. It's, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, somebody's playing call of duty over on the next screen, but you're the people that live in the city that they're fighting in. Right. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's about the, uh, the, uh, collateral damage yeah, that those I mean, things it's... mean. The human element is one of the things I I tried to accomplish with uh, the squad members because they all have a unique story and uh, you can help them resolve their, their, their issues and their, their dilemmas as, as you progress. So you have missions that you can help them with. So, And it looks like there's tons of mods you can download, like characters and scenarios and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for this war of mine, yeah, there's tons of user-generated content. It's, it's nice. I guess I'm gonna have to play this. Maybe tonight if I want nightmares. Yeah, but it, well, and with the thing <sighs> that Boy just said about uh, you know in in his game, right, where he's got the human element in his NPCs and right. you know, where where they have an agenda that they almost kind of like Mass Effect, which is that other game that you need to play um, because all the people that are with you, they have a story, right? And that's that's why you bond with the characters that are with you that. Predominantly in uh, in uh, Mass Effect Two, which is why it's the best of the series, because it's just like, oh, I met this guy and he joined my team. Oh, great! Well, he's got some problems, and yeah. he would really appreciate it if you could just kind of swing by this other planet and help him with his problem, and he'll be a lot more loyal to you after that. Or if you diss him and just say, hey, you know what, you're not. That problem's not important. We have to do this. Then he'll be a little different with you, um, and and those things affect the ultimate outcome of the game and who's alive and who dies and and a lot of things, you know. Yeah. So that so that's a that's a thing about that game where no two people have I talked to that went through that game and had the same experience, and they all have different stories. And it, and it's a game that you come away with and you have stories about these people like you almost know them. And for for them to accomplish that in you know what like twenty hours worth of game is amazing, um, and unfortunately they couldn't get that lightning to strike twice in the same spot. I hope with the fourth one they kind of get back to it, but you know three wasn't bad, but it wasn't two. But I'm I'm just happy to 
to hear like you know every every time you know you say oh yeah and and my game does this too <laughs> right and <laughs> and it, and it's just like oh my god really you know well like, I try to uh, I try to I mean I'm not that talented no but but it's the, but it's just the thing like you know you you have made an attempt to put so many things under the skin of this thing that on the surface looks like you know your expectations based on first glance are nowhere near what this thing can actually live up to. So that's that, yeah, that's a, that's something I've learned. So, so hopefully in the next game, I'll, I'll try to have a better first impression. Yeah, I, I think I think honestly that my idea about you know just put a mode in there that's that's almost like a higher level tutorial thing where it's just like hey, I'm going to show you some mid game, like and, uh, and now. Like your max level, and then you do this little tutorial mission, and you lose your memory. Well, yeah, because at the beginning oh. of the game, it, at the beginning of the game, didn't you like crash on the planet or something, or you you just have enough money to buy that ship that you've got, right? So maybe that's how you got there. It was like, okay, we were doing the tutorial, and oh, something bad happened, and you know, yeah, I mean, now a, we're here recovering. Idea. <laughs> yeah, because I, I would hate for people to miss the things that it does, but also it it's kind of a disservice to the player to uh, to deny them the the joy of discovering like oh god it does this you know so yeah it, it's just you know I played it for a couple weeks and just on the podcast here I've heard like ten things that I had no idea this thing was doing so. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's very rare that we get a game on the show that we don't look at and understand everything that's going on there. Yeah, exactly. It's, this game is just con- a continual surprise. It's like a <laughs> it's like a Christmas present you keep opening up. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, about the uh, squad thing, um, when you mentioned Mass Effect 2, when you actually do the squad missions in this game and you, you actually succeed and help them, they gain bonuses, they, they, they fight harder. Mina, etc. The more loyal to you. Huh. That's yeah. So that's so there's that. Wow. That and wow. if you fail, um, some of the some of the NPC missions, if you fail, has global consequences. Um, because you can't you can't um, the way I did it is is that you can, whether you fail to succeed, you can't replay it. So if you fail, there's consequences. If you succeed, there's consequences. I dig it. Yeah, that I is really it. cool. <laughs> if only well, Elite oh, had a narrative. Oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm doing one of right the mission, now? One of, one of the missions is, is um, you have to stop terrorists from delivering prototype weapons to pirates, right? And well, what happens if you fail? There should be a consequence. Those pirates get the weapons, and suddenly all the ships are just... So much more badass, right? Shit. So, is that a mission that comes up like every time, or that's randomly like you might play it a couple times and never see that? Oh, that's that's one of the storyline missions for the squad. <laughs> yeah, but are, are you going to get that squad member in that mission for them every time? Is it a guaranteed thing? Yeah, or, that, that one. Okay. That one in particular is guaranteed. Yeah, because I I wanted to make more squad members originally. Um, I had six planned out, but I I realized halfway through that I there's no way I can get this done in time, so I had to keep three squad members and focus on that instead. 
And by coincidence, they're named Brian, Jim, and Hunter. I don't know why. <laughs> no money changed hands. No. So, so I'm uh, I'm really excited to hear that more might be coming for this game in terms of expanding the the underpinnings economy to the players' hands. That's what gets me excited. Um, yeah. What else might you have in store for this game before you move on to your next uh, to the post-apocalyptic one you were talking? About? Well, there's there's a whole bunch of ships that I uh, I'm gonna add. Um, recently, Ooh. I contacted my artist, and I, I commissioned a few more ships from her. So we'll, we'll get some new, unique, really cool looking ships in the game. Oh, cool! I I really like your ships. It was uh, I yeah. saw where where you and the the other guy were talking about. You know. He's like, no, your ships are cooler, and <laughs> so that that was pretty neat. Um, right, who who was that? That was um, Radek, wasn't it? Yeah, and the solar thing. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's got some interesting ships too. But it, yours, it, uh, they're very visually distinct, and you know, it's it's like you see the ship and you know, it's like okay, that's a pirate ship. And that's that's you know the other empire or whatever. So yeah, it's it's not a muddy middle ground. And then you, of course you can spot neutral traders as well because yeah, they don't the look aggressive. Um, so yeah, that was the goal. Each faction have their own technology, and thus they should have their own look as well. Um, and also they build ships that are theoretically better against their ideology foes, I guess, because um, the Starborn Federation they build ships with crystals. So it absorbs absorbs energy weapons a lot better, and mm. their enemy is the human empire, which uses uh, energy beams, right? So, yeah. So, so also, which side you pick is what sort of ships you're going to have access to, and That's right. that will change your experience. Is there any opportunity to actually uh, like capture enemy ships? And, and use them, or are you just kind of stuck with whatever faction you lined up with? Because I, I didn't um, see a, anything there where a black you could actually... Oh, okay. There's a black market where pirates, on a pirate basis, they sell all kinds of tech and ships from the various factions, and you don't actually need faction standing to get, you just need money. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been playing a lot of Starpoint Gemini 2 lately, and I've been just stealing the hell out of people's ships in that thing, because you can transport marines over and, and steal the ship. Honestly, that's like the only way I have figured out how to advance at a decent pace in that game, is by stealing and salvaging ships, because you get paid, and then you can get out of that, that junk starter ship that they give you. But, um, but yeah, so... Yeah, so yeah. That's, I, didn't that's cool. a, I didn't tell players, or I didn't hold their hands, that there's a black market. I mean, they can get all kinds of high-level tech as long as they can afford it. I mean, it's something they discover for themselves if they explore. I didn't know that. Oh my god! I know, right? Like he did it again. What? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Every every time he tells us something about this game, it does something else. It's like, uh, is there a kitchen sink at some point where? Well, you know, I had a bug. I had a bug report. Um, some player said that I have this. This jump point, jump hole, that doesn't have any any labels on the map. And like like it must be a bug, right? I said no, just go through it. You go through it and tell me where you end up. And so he did. And then wow, it's a shortcut. I'm so glad you didn't say. Oh, and then you go to the alternate universe where the other half of the game is, and it's like. <laughs> now, if I had if I had more time and resources, yeah, that's what we would have done. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like you get there and Spock's got a beard. You know, who knew? <laughs> Spock with a goat. All right. Well, we've been talking almost two hours. You probably wrap this shit up. I know. Um, it's like if we keep talking, his game's going to sprout more features and then we'll never finish it. <laughs> we'll, we'll never play it again because it's like, God, there's too much in here. We'll never get through it. Now it's an MMO? What? <laughs> who knew? <Yeah. laughs> Wait, if you go to this one planet, suddenly it's World of Warcraft? Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, you didn't <laughs> you mean get to the RTS. Strategy? <laughs> yeah, you didn't get to the ground-based combat, because... No way. <laughs> no! It's, now it's Warhammer 40,000. What the... Where'd these orcs come from? <laughs> Wait a minute, you actually take a wormhole and you're in Star Wars at Starkiller Base? What? No, that nobody what goes to Starkiller Base, because it's absurd. This game is serious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim, for correct forcing that. <laughs> we don't break that insanity here. So, wow. Well, Hoy, I want to thank you for taking the time for being so candid about not only your first space game, but this one. I mean, we learned what? Yeah. What did we learn tonight, guys? We learned that chromium's a thing. We learned yeah, it's that free. The... it's good and it's free. Wait, what? It's free? Yeah, it's totally. Oh yeah, it's free. That's why I used it. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, so we learned that Chromium is a thing, and that's free. We learned that this game has... It's like an onion that never ends. It's like the blooming onion at Outback Steakhouse that never stops giving, is what this game is, really. I know, right? Oh like, if, if we can get Hoy and the Asterix guy to join oh. up for a project, we would not need another game. We would be set. Not really, No. Because he could the... he could put the dynamic economy in in the other guy's Eve offline, and we're good. And and, and they, you have the three D engine slash map of the other game, which is amazing. And ah, oh, if we mean... could just get the dynamic economy over into Elite, I'm I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is there I... a way to import this into Elite? <laughs> I know. I know you, I just I know you frequently criticize Elite, but I mean, have you thought that maybe the way it is is just Braben's vision, and oh, that yeah, he doesn't he doesn't want it to be like that, the way you wanted it? Like, just, I mean, you're describing my horror. There, I wake up screaming at night, thinking <laughs> that this is his vision, and that, no, the 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 thing is, the, the, the visuals the visuals have come up to today. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay. The mouse over to bring up all the prices of nearby systems for your goods and the profits you make. Okay, that's something I add because of uh, some suggestions. I didn't have it originally, and because I was thinking, as players explore, they they, they find where the best routes are. It it, it I guess it it uh, encourages players to think more for themselves, in a way. But the, when I added my feature, I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty functional. It's good. Too. I mean, yeah. both good. Both ways of doing it is good, I guess. So maybe that's just Robin's vision that he doesn't want to throw all this info at you, and that, that he wants a little element of mystery. Mm. Well, it's it's not so much that it's a mystery until I get there. I just wish that my map would remember it after I left, at least yeah, the last time yeah. I saw it. You know that that would be satisfactory to me. But no, that's that's kind of the, like I said. The horror is I realize. Okay, this game looks like 2016, but under that skin is 1984. It, yeah, it is I, still yeah. the same game, but 
the the downside of that is that that 1984 game was hard as hell and it and it had an edge to it because the reward in that game was just surviving the next time that you had to dock you know it, it was and the reason that you needed a bigger ship is because everything was trying to kill you all the time and in this it, it's I don't feel that threat because oh I got interdicted well I'll jump away from the guy it's not that big a deal. Um, so it it kind of tries to cater to the more casual player that would get very frustrated with the the super hardness of the original game, and yet it doesn't bring the conveniences. That you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> That's my little boy. It's way past his. I think I think you're being told. Bedtime. Okay, here we go, guys. Uh, hoy, hoy! I want to thank, thank you. Thanks and... a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, wow. Yeah, we'll continue that in the forum. By the way, thank you for for being a very active person in the Facebook yeah. group because it's it's a joy right. to talk to you. Even before we knew you were making the game, or before I did, at least you know it was like we had some good interaction, and then it was like, oh, that's the guy making that. Oh, so yeah. So so guys, next week we're uh, having uh, a couple of the guy- folks on behind a new 4X coming out called Stars in Shadow. Uh, that's what's happening next Tuesday on the podcast, and this week on the podcast we are going to return. We're going to party like it's 2000 with Star Lancer, but in co-op because that thing's campaign does co-op, and we got it to work. And yeah, we got that great. We got that shit working. We got so, working in co-op. It's are we? Are fabulous. you going to call up Wingman and say, "Come here I did. and play I your even, game"? I, 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 well, let's let's take that offline. But uh, <laughs> thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you uh, next week or Thursday or whenever. Bye.